if you can find a career in which that is the, the middle of the Venn diagram, that's the place to be. However, the thing is, if you know the information, why don't you just do it and make more money, right? It's because you have to love the words. Or maybe for me, maybe I just don't want to be responsible for people's perceived KPIs and their conversions. Maybe I want to keep a healthy distance. I'm not sure. I'm still navigating those parts for myself, but that's the guidance that I would say. Anyone who wants to become a writer and be paid for it well in terms of creating content for a specific reason and not like necessarily writing books, find that middle ground for yourself. Hopefully one of your interests already lends itself to that. But for me, I, I didn't know what SEO was until I started in content and you can find things and find reasons to fall in love. I wouldn't say I loved SEO that first eight months when I was talking about it, when I was writing for those clients at that first agency. But afterwards, when I started doing it for search engine land, I realized how welcoming the space was, which made me feel like I could have a spot. And that's really important for somebody at the beginning of their career, like myself, really important for people of color in general, because it's not always, you don't see people that look like you, especially not on like uh, conferences. It's, that's one of my main things right there in terms of going across and trying to create a career in content. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreading Sundays. I'm your host, Daniel K. Chung. And in today's episode, I'm introducing a fellow brother who kind of looks like me. Yeah, I can say that. <laughs> His yeah, name you can, is you can get away with that. <laughs> yeah. His name is George. Oh, I should have asked you this. But in Australia, it's, right. it's, it's better. We, I want to hear I want to hear how okay, you say it in okay. Australia though. Because There's we are very multicultural, there. yes. So therefore, I've learned that it's Nguyen, not Nguyen. Yeah, the the <laughs> the former, the first one is definitely Nguyen very close. It depends on how on who you're talking to and how they say it, but the way I say it for the American audience is win, like win or lose. Mm -hmm. The important part is you keep it um, as close to one syllable as possible because Vietnamese is a monosyllabic language. I have said this on so many intros to so many videos and podcasts that I'm sure people who are actually following my career moves are like, yeah, I, I know how to say your name, but it's useful. It's there's there's so it's one of the most common last names out there. It is. It is. Okay, so it's actually one syllable. See, I, I didn't know that. No one has corrected me so far in Australia, which is weird. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> Thank you well, for listening that... to my TED Talk. <laughs> hey, we're all learning. So now that you've kind of shared who you are, you, you might as well just roll with it, George. Who are you and what do you do and where are you calling from right now? I'll answer the easy questions first. I am... Um... Speaking to you from Cranston, Rhode Island, which is a town near Providence, the capital um, of the smallest state in the United States. I'm on the East Coast, though I'm originally from San Jose, California. And um, where I am now in terms of work professionally, I am the director of SEO editorial at Wix, um, which essentially means that I am in charge of how we speak about SEO and all of our to some extent, all of our SEO related content, uh, not everything, but most of the stuff that is public facing has to at some point go through me or I have to train somebody on how we talk about it because we take it very seriously as a close CMS. Um, what else is there to know about me before this? This is what I consider. So we're talking about career stuff, right? That's, that's our focus, Daniel. Yes, yes, yes. So I would say that this is my third career. Um, and I feel like a lot of SEOs kind of go that route, right? But I started not in marketing. I started in um, education because I graduated slightly after the 2008 recession and uh, deciding that I didn't want to work and I wanted to postpone my adult life as much as possible and learn another language. I became an English teacher in Korea 
I was there for eight years until 2018, eight and a half years, actually. Um, I said yes to a lot of opportunities while I was there. Anybody, for anybody who is considering teaching, I would definitely advocate for at least a year of it because it changes who you are in a way. And it makes you look at yourself in a different way. Like really the question is, for me, it was primary education, but like, are you suitable to be around children? And if not, are you really even suitable to be around other adults? How do you handle your, your, you know, your urges or your impatience? For me, it was definitely impatience, but I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because, um, teaching is very, very difficult. And my bar of success there wasn't what it should have been. It was simply to be better than the next teacher, which is at the time seemed good enough, but now in retrospect seems shameful um, because children deserve much better than just better than the next person. And so I did get out of it. And for that reason, I just said yes to everything, which included being a radio guest host for free for six months at a radio station. For free? Um, for six for months? Free. For six months, um, I did it because it was fun. And I knew somebody who worked at the radio station through a Korean language class. So say yes to every opportunity. You never know when something is going to, to pop up and be up your alley. But um, I just kept hammering at the producer to give me a job. And he said, no, we don't do that. We don't sponsor visas here. If you don't have a visa, we can't pay you. But if you want to keep coming in for free, we'll do that. And then eventually, he just felt so bad that he was like, hey, um, talk to this producer, she's hiring. And I said, but you said you wouldn't sponsor. And he said, yeah, we tell all you foreigners that. <laughs> um, so later on, I found out that actually um, it wasn't an audition and that she was mandated to hire me from her superior. Um, and everything was just kind of formality, but you do everything in earnest. You put your best foot forward, especially for opportunities in which people vouch for you because their neck is on the line too. And after that, I had become a writer, which was an interesting pivot because uh, I was writing for radio. And then one of my shows that I was the main show I was working on got canceled. It was a music show. I really thought my career would be in radio music. But that was it felt like the rug was pulled from under me after only like two years. And so the radio station said, Look, you can become a radio show writer and journalist for another show, the morning talk show, or you can find a new job. And uh, I don't know what it was, it, it had to have been love for my, my team and the people at the radio station because $2,000 a month is not much money at all. Especially like at Korea was cheap to live in at the time, but I was living in Seoul. And um, I definitely took a savings hit to do the thing that I love to do. So after becoming a journalist, I, I realized that the world opens up if you learn how to ask the right questions. If you learn how to make space for people when they talk, to engage them and to be present and to challenge things that you may not have thought to challenge before. Um, and one of my examples is that like, if you drink soju, which is the you know flagship Korean alcohol, or if you even know about it, you may know that it's always sold in green bottles, but you ever ask yourself why? Why is it a green bottle? I did a show about that. Just asking questions about the world around you um, and posing those questions seemed to draw the attention of other people who were also like, yeah, you know what, why is that? And finding people those answers was extremely rewarding for me. It helped me professionally in so many ways. But the ceiling on my career in uh, in Korea was very evident because, I mean, like $2,000 a month. And given this was like $2,016, but still, um, I was 29 or so at the time. And I knew that I couldn't keep going 
had it this way, that they would never uh, make me the main host of the show, which I took kind of personal. Um, but I knew that, you know, eventually if you're a long-term expat, um, Daniel, are you an expat or are you uh, born and raised in Australia? Uh, uh, first generation? I'm an expat. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're first generation then. Um, when you live in a place for a long time and you grew up somewhere else, you kind of have to come to that point where you can leave and preserve your memories, the good memories, or you can stay and risk becoming cynical. So my partner and I decided that it was time to leave. Also, it helped that our landlord said, hey, you need to move out because I sold the building. And we just didn't want to move in general. So uh, it was such a great living situation. $1,000 a month for a two-bedroom apartment in the heart of Seoul at the base of a mountain where we walked our dogs. It was just the dream. And we decided to move. But I, all I knew was at the time I was pursuing a copy editing certificate because I was like, oh, maybe I'll just work for myself and become a freelance editor. But my timeline was rushed. And long story short, we decided to move to the East Coast because her family is in the East Coast and they were able to help us get set up. My mom is in San Jose, California, and uh, she was not in a position to help us get set up in the Bay Area. Uh, but we came over here and I worked at a content marketing agency that found an entry level position. I was the associate editor. I was an associate editor. I had uh, clients like Vonage and, and WordPress running their content marketing. Um, it's kind of funny because WordPress is where I started and now I work at Wix, which is another close CMS. Um, but the agency that I worked for at the time, I, I looking back, I'm kind of surprised I stuck with marketing because it was some 40 something articles a month. Um, it just felt like a farm. The content was uninspired. The word counts were restrictive. The um, policies that we used in terms of keywords was borderline stuffing. I mean, it wasn't like super heavy to the point where like, I, I can't say it would embarrass any of the clients, but this was, you know, 2018. And like we say, SEO changes all the time. Um, it was just a tough environment to be in. I feel like a lot of agencies will spin at you the, oh, we're a startup. Well, you've been around for like seven years and, and they're just trying to obscure things so that their workers will continue to go. I mean, it's not specific to marketing these things, right? Um, trying to hype you up to get you over the difficulties, constantly adding new people to replace the people that churn after they become disillusioned. That was the kind of environment. Um, I was laid off in a reorg. And at that point, I really questioned like, wow, I'm eight months back into America. Uh, my third career, you know, just my start in marketing. Maybe this is the one that where I really failed, where like when I left, it wasn't on my terms. That was really something for me. Um, so for the following three or four months after that, in which I was just doing the job hunt and being mandated to go to uh, unemployment resources because I was receiving those resources at the time. Um, and like, it was just hilarious. Like, this is a side story, but you have to go to, sometimes you get randomly picked to go to um, unemployment classes if you're receiving unemployment benefits in some states in America. And I was one of the lucky few that were selected. And everybody in the class, except for me, was of an older generation. They were either Generation X or some of them were even like younger boomers. And they had a lot of gripes about millennials. It was just kind of fun to sit in there and listen to that because a lot of them were technology related and I could, I could kind of relate to that, but I also felt like I was really hung out to dry. Um, also being, this is new England, man. I am Asian. 
Like I'm a yellow dude and everyone else in the room essentially is white. So that's another look. It's another layer of intersectionality. I mean, you can't really, for, for some of the audience, if you're listening, you might be thinking this is irrelevant, but for people of color, especially marketers, there's not very many people of color and this intersectionality, the way that this ties into the overall, you know, trajectory of our careers is inseparable. So all the microaggressions, all that stuff kind of goes into the experience. But um, I found a listing on Indeed for search engine land and it, it was four weeks old. I thought, like I knew search engine land because I was editing for WordPress at the time, but then I thought there's no way that they're going to even see my resume. This thing's a month old. I bet they have a million um, applications. Barry Schwartz works there. Uh, so I did the one click um, instant apply thing thinking that I'm not going to waste my time to like revamp or write a cover letter for something that's low odds. But the next day, um, my former boss, Ginny Marvin got in contact with me. Um, she just had a few questions asked if I was interested and like knew about the company. And then the next day we started the interview process by the end of the week, I had an offer. I had negotiated the offer and I started two weeks after that. And it was my, one of my goals from since like 2016 was to work remotely and third door media search engine land was the opportunity to do that. So I was over the moon and that's where I worked for three years as first as the associate editor. And then when I, by the time I left, I was just a full editor, um, writing about organic. And then eventually when the need arose covering a lot on the paid side, which was a whirlwind for me as well. Um, both in navigating the subject matter and the practitioners, because they're a very different audience. And hosting SMX, getting to program that conference, an industry-leading conference, but also being the face that um, our presenters and our attendees tied with it. The brand definitely positioned me to, to be a major influence there. And I have really them to thank for what presence I have in SEO. But also, I feel like I... I tried my best to make it um, a welcoming space for people who were speaking for the first time and for people who were just like reading your content. Um, there's a lot in there before I move on. That was like the, the majority of my experience in marketing is being a journalist for search engine land, which is both a content role and a brand role. And, you know, a, like just a, an editing role running a website is partially an SEO role, although to a very low extent. I mean, the brand itself does so much of the heavy lifting. But before I move on, Daniel, I was wondering if there's anything that you wanted me to dig into that our audience might uh, might be interested in. Oh, that, that, that was great. Um, I guess my question is, I want to explore content and what that means in terms of career, because it seems to be very commoditized. There are, as you said, content farms, and sadly, people charge cents per word how do you progress how do you even know what you can progress to and in terms of like job titles what is the difference between editor and everything else that is beneath that yeah it's a solid question right because uh what what does editor even mean because i'm technically still an editor but my job is incredibly different now that i'm at wakes than it was at search engine land but i would say that um for content folks right there's there's a number of ways that you could go about your career. You could eventually start an agency. You could go into something more managerial. You could try to pivot into um, a more combined role with content and strategy um, behind the SEO. 
I feel like that is starting to gain some momentum, especially as the industry moves away from all of the, um, the, the rigidity that we've seen in the past, like in terms of keyword stuffing is like hardly a thing anymore in terms of how people talk about it in the industry and on Twitter and such. But I'm sure, you know, people out there still do it. Otherwise, Google wouldn't every year be saying, hey, 20 billion listings that we removed from search or, or whatever, some astronomical figure, right? But there's that route. But those are kind of managerial things. You might have direct reports. That's not really why you get into writing. I mean, this is a leap for sure, an assumption, but I would say that writers get into writing partially, like for also the same reason engineers kind of get into engineering is because um, you don't necessarily want your work to be dependent on other people. You might not necessarily enjoy that level of scrutiny or that level of collaboration or managing anyone else. I have been fortunate enough where I don't really have to manage anyone. I enjoy being a practitioner and we should definitely normalize like solid pay for practitioners, especially with so many people in our industry, whether they're like, you know, content folks or just technical SEOs um, doing their thing that, you know, we shouldn't always have to have that career path of moving into management. Um, for content writers and content people in general, going in brand, like going in-house, I mean, is a big thing. And that's kind of seen as the, uh, you know, writing your way off for the rest of your career and like, oh, now you have it good. Now that you're at, you're out of an agency. I don't mean to denigrate anybody that's at an agency, but that's just how the perception is. And I would say that also, you know, I share that. Um, I did not have a good experience at an agency and I jumped ship as soon as I possibly could. Um, that's still very narrow though, in terms of like, yeah, you're in house, but what are you going to do, right? You might view the strategy, but what if you just want to write? Tying yourself to a subject matter is the biggest thing. I, I think that that is the reason behind my success is because I, I mean, I'm, I have to toot my own horn here and I have to assume that it's safe to say because I was an editor where I was and I'm an editor now that I can speak the language of SEOs to discern what matters, but also to different audiences. That's the thing. If you can communicate your subject matter to the audience and all levels of the audience, whether you can hold your own with practitioners, because practitioners don't always want to write. That's the thing. Find that field in which practitioners don't want to write. And why wouldn't a practitioner want to write? Because you tell me, if you were a lawyer, is your hourly rate going to be better practicing law for a client or writing about law for your blog? One is definitely more lucrative, and that is the same in SEO. So if you can find a career in which that is the, the, the middle of the Venn diagram, right? That's the place to be. However, the thing is, if you know the information, why don't you just do it and make more money, right? It's because you have to love the words. Or maybe, like, for me, maybe I just don't want to be responsible for people's uh, perceived like KPIs and their conversions. Maybe I want to keep a healthy distance. I'm not sure. I'm still navigating those parts for myself, but that's the guidance that I would say. Anyone who wants to become a writer and be paid for it well in terms of um, creating content for a specific reason and not like necessarily writing books, find that middle ground for yourself. Hopefully one of your interests already lends itself to that. But um, for me, I, I didn't know what SEO was until I started in content. And you can find things and find reasons to fall in love. I wouldn't say I loved SEO that first eight months when I was talking about it, when I was writing for those clients at that first agency. But afterwards, when I started doing it for Search Engine Land, I realized how 
how welcoming the space was, which made me feel like I could have a spot. And that's really important for um, somebody at the beginning of their career, like myself, really important for people of color in general, um, because it's not always, you don't see people that look like you, especially not on like uh, conferences. It's better nowadays, but back then, yeah, that's, uh, that's one of my main things right there in terms of going across and trying to create a career in content. I love it. I love how you've illustrated that you don't, and, and this, is, this echoes what other people on the show have said, whether they're uh, was it independent or individual contributors, as you said, practitioners. They don't really want to have direct reports. They don't want to manage people. They just want to do the work. And when it comes to content, there is a perception that there is a ceiling, especially agency side. <laughs> there is a lot of churn and burn. You write the words and you get underpaid and undervalued. Stereotype, very broad stroke, but there's some accuracy there. <laughs> yeah, I would I would say that there are like these kind of um, there are content agencies in our space that have created amazing reputations for themselves. Um, animals being one of them. A N I M A L Z. I have no affiliation with them, so you just gonna have to take my word. But reading their content and um, seeing how transparent their policies are and their benefits. I mean, I've had to look through some of this stuff uh, when I was doing job posts for search engine land, but also like I did in full transparency, um, apply for them in like 2018. Right. And just knowing that like, there are places out there, if you want to do client work for a lot of clients, maybe the variation gives you, um, gives you that rush. There are places in which you can do that. And starting your own place is always an option. I'm gonna move ahead a little bit with, um, with my career and explaining that because now I'm at this other place, right? Like the thing about words and SEO, uh, you could be writing words to rank for something, right? Like, I don't know, best mountain bikes, right? You might be writing for um, Trek or Giant or one of those companies. But in terms of writing about SEO specifically, there are only a few people who dedicate all of their working hours to it. Everybody writes to some extent, I feel like, right? Like um, one example is Lily Ray who is a practitioner, will write on a frequent basis to get her thought leadership out there. Um, but there, that leaves this huge hole in which, like, who, who can actually write on a regular basis? Because you're stuck doing the client work, right? There are only a handful of people in the industry, I feel like, that can actually be trusted to monitor the words of a publication. And I am fortunate enough to be considered in that group. And I would say that that is what um, kind of made me more attractive to Wix. Uh, they approached me and said that like, hey, would you be interested in running our, our publication? And knowing what the, um, the mission in here was, it was so exciting that I, I just had to try something new. Also, I was getting a little bit burnt out from um, the journalism, you know, 3.30 deadlines every day, get out this much content, write the newsletter. I mean, I, I have definitely lost hair and have more grays. And I just look so much older than when I started. But I wouldn't say that's all journalism. Some of that's just SEO. Some of that's just general pandemic-related stress, right? Um, but the reason I'm, I'm at Wix now is because our goal is to have a publication that follows best practices, not in terms of how do you rank, number one, but in terms of what does the user want? What do you, the listener, who is probably an SEO or in a tangential field, what do you want to learn about search? And how do I best deliver that information? We're not looking at things like, uh, you, were, you were mentioning er earlier, word length, right? Like a uh, word count, 
We don't have that, which is a big leap of trust for our contributors to say like, hey, write this uh, guide. There's no word count. Um, we'll pay you this much, right? And if they could turn in a third of the words, I would still have to pay them. I might not publish if it's garbage, but that's how it is, right? Like we, we have to live by those, those notions to try to meet users at where they want to be, to try to find ways to deliver content that isn't templatized to the point where um, it's built to convert. We do not have a conversion mandate. The competing blogs, right, or, or publications, like let's just take my former, um, my former publication, Search Engine Land. One thing that they ultimately have to do is get people to register for SMX because that is part of the revenue stream. Um, and they did a great job of separating that, but I don't have to do that at all ever. I don't ever have to mention what Wix is doing otherwise. I don't have to mention any of our products if I don't want to. It would be weird too because it's like the Wix SEO blog, but but yeah, um, I don't have to tell people, you know, click here to try out our free subscription or anything. Like You won't find that in any of the content because we don't have to answer to those those mandates and to see what you can create just on some budget and the expertise of people who are willing to help you are wonderful contributors. I am thrilled to see how this goes because it could fall flat because, because this is very much the, the old traditional world of SEO. And when I say traditional, take that very loosely. I'm talking like even 20, 2015, 2018 folks would be turning over, just being like, this is crazy. You can't do it this way. You, you need to know search volume. You need to learn what like your keyword density or whatnot. We're not paying attention to that stuff. We're going the semantic way. We're going for what reads well, what the experience is, what users actually want to know. Will it turn out well? I don't know. But uh, this, I couldn't be more excited to find out. And that's kind of where I am in my career. I feel like there's um, it's a lot of stars to connect here and uh, kind of a jumble. You, you mind if I just kind of like go over the vein of my career? Go for Daniel? it. Go for okay. it, George. I feel like... Um, I essentially started off my, my work life trying to avoid work, but when I eventually turned to, um, to realizing that there are things that I can enjoy doing within my work that I don't have to enjoy every aspect of it, but that if I enjoy it enough on a general basis that I can say yes to it, finding those things and pursuing them, even if they're not exactly what you were doing before, like what does radio really have to do with teaching? I mean, there's an element of public speaking, but Guess what? On radio, you never have to look at the faces of the people you're talking to. It, just like now, actually, right? And during this podcast, which makes me so much more confident that I don't have to view your reactions or see what's coming up in the chat box. But other than that, like how, how does radio really translate to marketing or translate to, to content? It's hard to say, but the vein for me there was that I could find aspects of my personality to bring to those causes, to do things differently than other folks and see how it went to help people essentially. Like that's one of the main things I've always tried to do in my career. Um, but you always like, there's, there's truly helping people the philanthropic way. And I feel like that's something that we all wanna do, but only, very few of us have the resources to do that. Most of us still have to make a living. So how could I help people while still earning enough for myself? And that's kind of brought me to where I am now. now before it was teaching children and then getting um, my main goal with journalism in Korea was to get expats to think differently about the culture that they were living in because it was English speaking radio. And 
Now it is to provide, you know, at, at Search Engine Land, it was to provide marketers with the newest Intel, the latest, what they should care about, right? But then now I'm not really speaking to marketers as much. Yes, marketers, SEOs are definitely part of the audience for the Wix SEO Learning Hub. However, I want to focus especially on the general user. Because when we think about the trajectory of SEO overall, eventually all these enterprises are going to have their own in-house SEO teams, partner with an agency. They have money and resources. Search visibility is all about managing their priorities at that point, getting buy-in, internal struggles. But for your mom and pop shop, the locals, um, people who a little bit of search visibility really means like, I don't know, this is a, this is not a, the best example, but like better Christmas presents for their kids or paying um, college tuition. It means more. And that is the audience I'm kind of turning to because that audience is also the audience that understands search the least, which is tragic. I would say that nine out of 10 people you talk to and you, you ask them, why do you think this ranks number one? And they might be able to point to one ranking factor, one oversimplification of how search works, but nobody can really contextualize anything for you. It's a difficult question. You ask an SEO, it's still difficult, right? So it's not fair to put people on the spot like that, but it's obvious that they don't know, which is tragic considering all of the events that have happened since like 2016, misinformation being out there. We need to be able to contextualize what search actually is because it is a tool that we use every day. I can explain to you how a hammer works in terms of levers and distance. Most people can, but search, which you use, I'm betting way more often than a hammer, you can't. And that's because it's a new technology, but our lives are on the internet now. And it is just unacceptable for us to continue this way. So everything that I do in my SEO career is kind of uh, an offshoot of that purpose to clarify what the truth is. Because I'm still seeing professionals say things like engagement is a ranking factor for Google search. Google has said it's not. It's okay if you say it's, it, it is. You just got to admit that what you're saying is an opinion, right? This is how we cut down on this misinformation. That's kind of what I'm trying to do with my career at the moment. Beautiful. I, I absolutely love that. And to add on, one of my biggest gripes about gaining more experience in SEO is that the ones that you really want to help can never afford you. And that really, really sucks. Because as you said, the monetary value that they can get from conversions from organic makes a difference in their personal lives for all the affiliates and the other sites that rank well yeah 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 there's some benefit but in terms of impact very different conversation and and sometimes i get really jaded about what i do <laughs> yeah uh, it's definitely for especially you got to bring up affiliates i feel like that's such easy pickings because when you make money for an affiliate and they sell off that site for even more money they're just going to spin up another site repeat the cycle it just yeah. feels so, so mm. if you you know provide the knowledge as best as you can in lay terms then at least we are trying to level the playing field in some degree it's never enough but it's still something i also think it's the next frontier we have to make these services available especially for you know business owners that don't really want to do it like can we make them can we make the execution of seo so simple that to hire somebody isn't an onerous expense? Or can we make it so easy to do that they don't have to think about it as time, extra time spent? 
that whatever they're doing to answer the questions of their customers is enough to improve their visibility. That's the question, right? Hopefully we can get there. And you know, a lot of this is like SEO questions. And I, I've had that question before of like, George, do you consider yourself to be in? Lily Ray, actually, I, I'm gonna put her uh, on blast here <laughs> in um, Seattle at SMX Advanced, I think in, I think it was 2018, maybe it was New York. And I don't know, like you see a lot of people at the same conferences, but I know it was Lily. Because uh, you don't forget being asked this question. Like, George, do you actually do any SEO? And I was like, it, it depends. Uh, I, you know, before it was <laughs> such a huge cliche to say it depends. I mean, it still was back then. But like, do you consider content SEO? Which is actually something I, I learned to answer from Barry Schwartz. He's like, well, do you consider content SEO? <laughs> um now I say that I actually do a little bit more of it, um, still just the basic stuff. I'm not in there, like I'm not trying to figure out, oh, let's try to get this CLS faster. Like I'm not doing that kind of stuff, but I am in there assessing how things work, what, how the structure of content really creates cohesion, trying to figure out that X factor. It's really intangible stuff, but I like to think that, especially with the um, how Google flexes in terms of identifying what ranks well based on like YMYL categories, those highly sensitive categories. You can go through the pages like that rank one and two and just see the most minute of differences. And yeah, it might come down to a technical difference like this page loads up faster or something. But when you see those small content differences, you do get the feeling that search engines are really getting better at content, at contextualizing what is needed to fully cover a topic. Right, like if I build, if I wrote a blog about building a house and I didn't talk about the foundation of that house, I'm sure it wouldn't rank as well as a piece of content that did include that. And I feel like search engines are indeed getting to that point where they can understand that difference in content. And so that's what I'm doing, and that's what I consider to be part of the optimizing. Am I really optimizing for search? Yeah, I guess, but it's really optimizing for what users want. And that's uh, that's something I'm kind of balancing out in the approach that my publication is taking. We have to think about keyword research. That's such a huge, important part of SEO. But the way we do it is a little bit archaic considering where the search engines are now. And also the way that it's generally done is extremely overwhelming to first timers, to, to business owners trying to establish an online presence. So how do we make it less about the tools, less about the interfaces and, and rank tracking, and more about what converts, providing the user the answer? So in that sense, I would say that, uh, yeah, I'm a kind of an SEO. I'm a content guy for sure. And I'm an editor. Um, You're definitely an SEO. But the way you describe things, <laughs> definitely. I mean, you may not want that job title or that association. But yeah, you, you know a lot about SEO. I've I've enjoyed learning because it's, uh, I mean, not to say like the metaverse is the future because I at this point, I'm definitely skeptical of that. But the internet is here and we live our an aspect of our lives on it. And to know where to put your best value. My partner is an online personal trainer and she's always like, oh yeah, Instagram is where you get the prospective clients. I'm like, but all of your stuff is gone like by tomorrow. All of that thought leadership that you put into it, nothing gets indexed, nothing gets ranked. You have no online presence except for within the platform. And when the platform changes the algorithm, given Google can also change an algorithm, you know, if Facebook decides to change that algorithm, what happens to all that effort? So yeah, it's important to know how these things work, just if, if even for your own benefit. 
but also to help out others. Love it. I'm mindful of time, so I think we'll end it here. George, Win. it's been an absolute honor and pleasure to hear your three careers and, and how you went through those and how each one of those shaped you to be where you are today. And I'm very excited, A, for the Learning Hub, and B, more importantly, where this is going to take you to the next level of what fulfills you and how you can embody that mission of yours to help others. Thank you for your Thank time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been a pleasure. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to Dreading Sundays, and I will catch you in the next episode.